Welcome, First Friends Church family. Today, Pastor Nathaniel is leading us through our end of summer series titled Summer in Psalms. We are so glad to have you tuning in because here at First Friends Church, we live to glorify God together by loving Him, making disciples, and proclaiming the gospel. One of the best ways to strengthen our faith is by diving into the Word of God together during our Sunday gatherings. So if you don't have a church family, we would love to have you join us. All there is to know as you plan your visit can be found at firstfriends.org. Now let's go to our lead pastor, Nathaniel, with this week's message. I don't know about all of you, but I have a lot of GPS stories, um, and they're usually GPS fails. And early on in the whole GPS craze, before we had it on our phones, someone had given Julie and I an, an, one of the first iterations of a Garmin GPS and we were using it in Brazil, so we had to download the, the right maps and everything for Brazil. And we were on vacation in a, a mountain town, and it was pretty remote. And we were with a number of my family, and we had been out for dinner, and we were going back to the uh, bed and breakfast. And I was like, I'm sure there's a faster way to get there. So I know how to get there. I'm going to put it in the GPS because we're going we're gonna to beat them all there. They're all going the, you know, the, the normal, boring path. We're going to get there a much cooler way. So I put it into the GPS, and we started off. And it was the, the opposite direction. And we kept going in the opposite direction. And um, the roads kept getting narrower and narrower. Um, and finally, it had me turn off onto this dirt lane, I guess you'd call it, with pine trees on every side. Meanwhile, my family is in the car, and my my wife, um, who is gently yet firmly suggesting that maybe it's time to just take the path that we know. Um, and, but I'm insisting no, because I know we're going to be, it's going to be so cool, we're going to show up there, and they're like, where did you come from? How did you get here before us? You left after us. And I was just like, I was determined. So eventually we got to a point in the road that was unpassable. Um, and it was very narrow. So then I had to back out, back down this road, several hundred yards, until we got to a spot where I could turn around and then actually go back on the path that we knew. Another GPS story, it's kind of the opposite side of it, is that I was uh, determined that I knew better than the GPS, this Garmin um, uh, module. So we're going to friend's home. We'd never been there before. And I'm following the GPS, and then at one point I'm like, I don't think that's the right way. I think I know a better way. So I'm going to follow this better way. And the, this is back when it would, the, the GPS would keep, it would get a little circle on it and it would say what? Recalculating, recalculating. So it would recalculate over and over and over again until finally it gave up and it just started saying over and over again, when possible, make a U-turn. <laughs> when possible, make a U-turn which is eventually what I had to do. This is a theme. These U-turns are a theme. When we're on the wrong path and when we're headed in the wrong direction, insisting on going further forward is not the answer. The answer is to stop and turn around. Going on and on in the wrong direction will not eventually return anyone to the right path. The two verbs that we'll be examining today from Psalm 23 are about direction. We'll see the continuing deep care of the shepherd played out through the verbs refreshes and guides. The Lord Almighty, Jehovah, the great shepherd of sheep, is the one who refreshes and guides his flock. 
If you don't have a hard copy Bible with you this morning and you'd like to borrow one for this service, you can follow along in Psalm 23. The ushers are coming back down the aisles now with some copies, and if you just catch their eye, they'll be glad to give you one. And we say this each week, but if you don't own a hard copy of the Bible, don't just borrow this one. Receive it from us as a gift and keep it. The book of Psalms is right in the middle of the Bible, and I'll be reading Psalm 23 once again, and as I begin to read it, I just remind you all of the invitation to memorize the psalm as we're going through the series. It's only six verses. Many of you have already memorized it before, perhaps as children. This is an opportunity to refresh and brush off your memory. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I'll fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The first verb here at the beginning of verse 3 is the verb refresh. For those of you who may have heard this verse in a previous or different translation, you may be more accustomed to the word restore. He restores, or if you're KJV, King James Version, he restoreth my soul. The Hebrew word can be translated either way. Either either option is acceptable. But the meaning of this Hebrew word is to return to a former state or to bring back. It's kind of the range of meaning. So he returns my soul or he brings back my soul. And I'm going to use these terms refresh and restore somewhat interchangeably as we look at this concept Let's start with restore. What needs to be restored? What needs to be brought back? Something that's broken or damaged, something that's lost, hurt, wounded, defaced. And in modern terms, when we think of restoring something, we think of returning it to its original state, repairing and renewing something to look and function like it originally did when it was new. I'm sure you've seen or known somebody that really loves to restore cars. So they take an old car that's beaten up and perhaps doesn't even run anymore, that's got scratches and maybe needs a whole new paint job, and they'll spend a lot of money and lots of time restoring that old rusted antique car to a new state, putting it back to what it was originally intended to be. But in this context, the shepherd's not restoring an object, but rather the shepherd is restoring his sheep and specifically the souls of his sheep. Because the souls of his sheep are damaged, defaced, lost, wounded, broken, and fallen from what they were intended to be. So they don't live or function any longer as the shepherd intended. And what's the cause of this brokenness? Like what brings about a need for this restoration or this refreshment of the human soul, of the souls of the sheep of the Father? It's sin. This isn't anything new. We've talked about it a lot. You're aware of this. But all brokenness in this world finds its original root in sin. 
and all sin finds its root in lies. When the soul of a sheep, that's you or me, when we choose to believe a lie or we're deceived into believing a lie, then we're going to follow that lie into sin. And sin destroys, defaces, damages, and leads us astray as nothing else can. Sin committed by an individual, sin committed against an individual, and the individual's sinful response to sin committed against them. And though we may think of this image, you know, he refreshes my soul, he restores my soul, we may think of that as a peaceful image. The process of refreshment or restoration can often be painful. There's a, an ancient hymn of the church that we also sing here at First Friends from time to time. It's called, Come Thou Fount, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And there's a line in the, the second verse of that hymn that reads like this, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And that's a very accurate description of the human heart or the heart of all sheep. We are prone to wander. Our natural tendency is to leave the shepherd. And we, we seek sin, we, we tend to it, we're drawn to it, and the shepherd is the one who comes after us to restore us. Jesus tells this incredible parable, this beautiful parable of a shepherd who has a hundred sheep, but one has wandered off and been lost. And the shepherd brings the other 99 into the fold, and then he goes out searching for the one lost sheep. And when he finds that sheep, he brings that sheep back. And it's important, we're going to look at this a little bit more closely, but he brings the sheep back to himself, and he brings the sheep back to the flock. And the image that that gives us today is that when, when the shepherd restores a soul, he restores a soul to himself, but he also restores the soul to the family of God, which is the church or the flock. Now, in the ancient Near East, there was a specific way that shepherds would deal with sheep that had this consistent tendency to, to constantly stray off on their own. Sheep are not like some other animals, such as dogs or cats, which have a more highly defined homing instinct. And you've seen movies or read stories about dogs that will cover hundreds of miles on their own, um, finding their way back to, to masters from whom they've been separated. No, so sheep, which wander off, they rarely wander back again. So the shepherd has to go look for them. So when a sheep would show this tendency repeatedly to wander off on its own, shepherds in the ancient Near East would at times intentionally break one of the legs of that sheep. I know that sounds incredibly harsh. But he would intentionally break the sheep's leg so the sheep would be unable to walk and therefore unable to stray, but here's the point, would then become entirely dependent on the shepherd. And during the healing period, the shepherd would carry that sheep. I, I think we're, many of us are familiar with those iconic paintings or drawings of Jesus with, you know, a lamb on, on his shoulders. And maybe that's a picture. I'm sure the reality was a lot less beautiful than that. Um, but, but that's kind of the idea. Because remember, flocks of sheep in the ancient Near East had to travel miles each day. 
The shepherd had to lead them to forage, had to lead them to, um, to pasture, had to lead them to the stilled waters. And so if, if the sheep were left behind with a broken leg, the sheep would die. But when the, when the shepherd broke that leg, it wasn't punitive, it was restorative. And he would take that, that, that lamb, that sheep, and carry it with him everywhere that the flock went. And the wounded sheep would constantly be with the shepherd, would learn to enjoy that closeness. And then once the bones had knitted, the shepherd would then replace the sheep on the ground. But for the rest of its life, the sheep would hobble a little bit, would have this hint of a limp reminding it of its tendency to wander. But that, all, that limp also would keep the sheep from wandering off and cause the sheep to remain close to the shepherd. Now, isn't this an accurate, though painful, picture of ourselves? How often and repeatedly we stray. How quick we are uh, when, when we're set free from something, when God has mercy on us and shows us his forgiveness, how quick we are to fall right back in to that same temptation or that same sin. We have um, a video this morning of an actual sheep um, that may reflect our attitude and our reactions toward the shepherd. So, can we play that? Молодец, Свет. Умничка. Умничка. Все, операция удалась. That's me. We laugh because I think we can all relate to that in one way or another. The more that we resist the shepherd's restoration, the more we suffer. That's another thing that is hard for us to comprehend and hard for us to believe. When we're in sin and the shepherd calls us back, we often rail against the pain and the suffering that we experience. But in the moment, we don't see that the shepherd's not breaking our legs as punishment, but he's doing it to restore us. The shepherd's bringing us back to him. Hebrews 12, 5 and 6 quotes Proverbs 3, 11 through 12, but it challenges us and reminds us that the Lord's discipline is always restorative. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son or daughter. The Lord's discipline is not punitive, it is restorative. And the shepherd refreshes our souls with himself, and he restores us to himself. That's a very, very important concept for us to grasp. The shepherd refreshes our souls with himself. He is the refreshment. It's not something that happens apart from him, as though he's using a magic wand and he's pointing it at us far away and refreshing us and restoring us. It's a drawing to himself and a nearness and a presence with him. Relationship with the shepherd and with the flock is everything.
Now, I think it's, it's helpful briefly to consider what exactly leads us astray. In this image of, of sheep running off on their own, um, if, if you are truly a sheep that belongs to Jehovah, to the Lord, He will restore your soul to His heart, but the more hard-headed and resistant we are, the more committed to my sin that I become, the more painful the process of returning will be. King David wrote Psalm 23. And that, that's really important to remember because David was not, he, he was, he's described as a man after God's own heart. But if you read his story, it's pretty sordid. And he has these episodes and periods of profound sin and rebellion that he goes to, that goes through rather. The difference is he always comes back to the heart of God. He is always brought back to the shepherd. And, and David, he, he had his leg <laughs> broken, figuratively speaking, many times. Um, the son that, that he conceived in adultery with Bathsheba, uh, that son died. Then all of David's other sons rebelled against him. He was chased out of his palace, out of Jerusalem. He lived as a fugitive. His family fell apart. And as Haddon Robinson, who's a theologian and, and a, a professor, puts it this way, David walked with a limp for the rest of his life. And yet, this is the man who writes this psalm. Even through the pain and the suffering and, and, and the, the figurative breaking of his legs, that's exactly what draws him back to the shepherd. And so we see David affirming the care of the shepherd, the res restoration of his soul, the refreshing of his soul, the bringing back of his soul, the making new of his soul with the shepherd, bringing David back to the heart of his Lord. And I, I think if David could just sit down and have a very frank conversation with us this morning, um, and not necessarily in biblical language, he would probably say something, don't insist on sin. Don't keep running from the shepherd. I've done it, and it's not worth it. Respond quickly to the shepherd's voice calling you back, searching for you, coming to find you. The next verb that, that David uses is the verb guides. And it's no accident that this verb is placed in the order um, with refreshes. God intended this. First, he refreshes, restores the souls of his sheep. He brings them back from where they were lost. He heals their damaged souls. He breaks their legs if necessary, teaching them to stay close to him, to love him. And then once they're brought back from the wrong path, he tenderly guides them in the right paths. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths. Sheep are tempted to follow other sheep rather than to follow the shepherd. So I have a friend from Ireland who has a fair amount of um, interaction, I guess, with sheep, experience with sheep. And he said they had a pasture once and there was a little break in that pasture wall. And uh, one sheep would go through, it was always the same sheep would go through that wall, and as soon as that one sheep went through, all the others would follow, one after the other, one after the other. But it was always the same sheep that was going through that break in the wall before they could get it prepared, repaired, rather. 
Uh, J. Douglas McMillan was a Scottish minister. He's passed away, but he was a Scottish minister and well-known preacher who had also been a shepherd in Scotland for a number of years. And in interpreting Psalm 23, he wrote a short book about it, and other biblical passages which describe God as a shepherd and people, his people as sheep, uh, he explains in his experience what usually causes sheep to stray. Sheep are always attracted to the easy path. So they're attracted to comfort. Hmm, who does that sound like? Maybe me. I like the easy path. I like comfort. And when we, we see or sense that the shepherd who might know that danger lies down the easy path or actually might know that greater good or better pasture or better water lies down a much more difficult path and when we see laying out before us where the shepherd's taking us, and we're like, oh, I do not, that is not the easy path. I much prefer the comfortable path. And that's what causes sheep to stray. We want to naturally flow to the easy way. One other illustration that uh, Doug McMillan uses is that sheep are attracted to soft ground as well. And in Scotland, he, he said a number of times they, they might be passing by or near marshy land, but that land was very soft. And that sheep could, would be attracted to it and lie down in it because it was so comfortable. But then the sheep couldn't get up on their own. So the shepherd would have to slog into the marsh and somehow lift them up and put them back on solid ground. Another danger, another tendency of sheep is to get into spaces that are too small and too tight. They wiggle their way in, their wool gets caught, and they're trapped. And in each of these cases, only the shepherd can release the sheep, either by lifting them out of the soft ground or by cutting off the excess wool that's gotten entangled, whether in branches or briars or rocks. But regardless, that's, that's a, a true picture of us also as sheep. We're enchanted by the ease and attractiveness of sin. Um, and we're appalled at times by the path of, of, of holiness and sanctification that the shepherd is inviting us down and leading us down. And so we stray, and, th and then we stray until we're so trapped that we can't get out. And then we're so damaged sometimes that we no longer even have the desire to get out. And this is when the shepherd's care at times may seem severe because he's going to call us back and he's going to guide us in right paths. The shepherd is the one who knows his sheep, who loves his sheep, who has the best in mind and at heart for his sheep, and the wise sheep will follow his guidance. Now, last week, I mentioned how often we long for the revelation of God's will in our lives. That's, that's a question probably as a pastor that's most often been asked me. What is God saying? What is God's will? What's the decision I should make in this particular situation? And again, to quote Haddon Robinson, he says, God is more interested in what we are than in where we are. He guides us along right paths. He's more interested in who and what we are and we are becoming than necessarily in where we are physically or geographically or where we work or where we may live. If we are continually in the process of becoming who and what the shepherd intends us to be, then he will easily put us where he wants us. 
And when we seek God's will on a specific issue, we often ignore the situations in Scripture in which He's already clearly revealed His will. A verse that often comes to mind in this regard is 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 3 and 6. <laughs> it, it, it can't get much clearer than this. It is my will. 1 Thessalonians 4.3, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. Oh, that's not a pleasant, that's not pleasant. Like becoming, the process of becoming holy isn't usually a really pleasant, joyful process. It yields incredible fruit. But if we just look at, oh God, this is your will. Uh, let me find some other will. Do you have any other will? Let me keep reading this passage that you should avoid sexual immorality. Hmm, that's pretty clear. Uh, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Hmm. Uh, that uh, um, in a way, uh, each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. Oh, God's already stated very clearly certain aspects of his will. Let's begin by following those where God's already clearly spoken. It's his will that we follow him into sanctification. It's his will that we avoid all forms of sexual immorality. It's his will that we not take advantage of one another. And in this context, it's specifically speaking physically and sexually, but... Broadly speaking, it still applies. That sanctification has everything to do with the state of our hearts and little to do with where we are or what job we may have. So if we're to follow the guiding of the shepherd, we can start right here. He guides us in paths of righteousness. He guides us in right paths. That is his will. And I would just put a plug in here again. How do we know? Like even this fact, how do I know? that it's God's will that we would be sanctified or that we would avoid sexual immorality? Where do we discover that? So if, if we're going to follow the shepherd, we cannot follow the shepherd without listening to his voice. How could we? This is one of the primary ways that he speaks. And finally, why? Or for whose sake does the shepherd lead his sheep in the right paths? It's for the sake of his name. Isn't that interesting? I don't, I don't know if you've ever done a Google search on your name. And is it possible that you would do a Google search on your name and you might be surprised at what comes up? You say, oh, I don't want my name associated with that. In Old Testament times, some shepherds were hired to care for the sheep of wealthier owners, and shepherds were zealous for their reputations because their livelihoods depended upon people having confidence in them. So a shepherd that often lost sheep or allowed sheep to die on that shepherd's watch or otherwise cared poorly for sheep, they would quickly be out of a job. In the old uh, ancient word-of-mouth LinkedIn process of the old ancient Near East, they would quickly be blackballed. They're, they're no longer a trustworthy shepherd, and word of mouth is going to make them lose their livelihood quickly. So our Lord, Jehovah, 
the shepherd. He preserves the integrity of his reputation. He promises things. He always lives up to them. Always. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. We can count on his integrity. God will never, ever betray his name. He will always, always be faithful to his promises because his reputation is at stake. So when we're worried about his will, about seeking what he wants to do and and what he wants us to be, we can have utter confidence that he will guide us in the right paths. He'll be faithful to his reputation and to his name. God, however, never forces a sheep to follow his guidance. He loves all his sheep. He goes after the lost. He seeks to restore those who are in, rebel- who are in rebellion, but he's not going to force a sheep to repent or to follow. And the most dangerous place in which we can find ourselves is to know God's will and yet refuse to do it. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane said to the Father, if there's any way possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And the most dangerous thing we could say is, nevertheless, God, not as you will, but as I will. To see the right path on which the shepherd is guiding us and then intentionally choosing another path. Now, these two verbs, restores or refreshes and guides, should bring us as sheep of the Lord both comfort and challenge. Comfort, that he is intimately concerned for us, that he knows how to perfectly care for and provide for our needs. But the challenge is to not resist him when we know the path in which he would lead us. And to that end, let's invest in becoming what he wants us to be, committing to that that life of purity, but committing primarily to him. You know, I think a lot of us have wandered while still doing all the right things. I think a number of us have wandered while still going to church each Sunday, externally doing the right things. One of the things that, Jesus, that God rather says about his people through one of his prophets, Isaiah, he says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Could that be the case for us? I'm just asking the question that we would, we would examine and see if we are, if we are in need of refreshment, restoration, and then of submission to the guiding of the shepherd. Because if we are, what's the first step? It's always the same. It's a returning to the shepherd. It's a coming to him. It's not a fixing ourselves up. It's not a determination that we're going to work harder and be better and do gooder. We come to the shepherd we return to the shepherd. So today is an opportunity um, to be restored, to be refreshed, because the shepherd is always working that refreshment and that restoration for all people. So listen to his voice. Maybe he's already broken your leg, figuratively speaking, and maybe he's using that suffering or that pain to keep you close and keep you dependent upon him because he loves you, and because he has our best interest and our greatest good at heart. This morning, we 
we celebrate communion together. This is so appropriate because the, re- the restoration of souls costs the shepherd something. And in the case of the restoration of the human soul, the cost was the life of the Lamb of God, Jesus, his son. And this is what we remember and this is what we celebrate when we take communion together. The elements represent the body of Jesus that was pierced and crushed for our sin. And the, the, the cup represents and points us to the blood of Jesus that was shed for our forgiveness. So as we prepare to receive this morning, um, I would invite uh, those who will be ministering the elements this morning to go on and come to the tables and remind us all that even this act of coming to receive can be an outward act that points to an inward reality of returning and coming to the shepherd, the source of life, the source of refreshment, the source of restoration, and the source of true and right guidance. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to to his disciples. And he said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, Jesus took the cup of wine. And this too, he passed to his disciples. And as he did, he said these words. This blood is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Drink it, each and every one of you. Lord Jesus, our great shepherd, thank you for coming after us. Thank you for seeking us, your lost sheep. And this morning, Lord, may those of us who have strayed, first of all, would you convict us that we are astray, and then secondly, invite us back, and may we respond to your invitation to return. In your name, Lord Christ, we pray. Amen. Um, So those of you uh, ministering at the tables, I'd invite you to serve each other now. And as they do, I just want to give you a quick preview of how we're going to do this. Many of you are already familiar with it, um, but you'll exit, you'll, you'll, you'll be the, the ushers are going to come forward, and they're going to dismiss you row by row. And as they do, you will exit from the left side of your row, and you'll come to the table that's at the head of your, at, at the front of your seating section. First, you'll receive the bread, then you'll receive the juice, the bread, or the crackers. They are gluten-free as well, so you can receive there freely. <laughs> um, and but at each one, the, the one ministering the bread, the one ministering the cup, they're going to say something to you. So take a moment and stop in front of them and make eye contact and hear what they have to say. And then 
as, as they serve you, you can choose to either eat and drink right there at the table, or you can move off a little to the side, or you can go off to the, to the sides of the sanctuary or even to the altars and take a little bit more time before you eat and drink, or you can take it back to your seat as well. But let's come together. Come to the shepherd. And even as we symbolically receive sustenance in our physical bodies, we are acknowledging that he is the source of the life of our souls. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. One way you can connect further with First Friends Church is through our website, firstfriends.org. There, you can learn about our equip groups as well as our upcoming events for all ages. On Sundays, we gather at 9 and 10.30 a.m., and we'd love to see you there. Have a great week!